Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamera. Okay, this week's a big one for me. We're talking to Ronnie DeVoe. Ronnie DeVoe, as everyone knows, I'm sure, is one of the founding members of New Edition and Bell Biv DeVoe. Can you believe that? I've been wanting to talk to one of those guys from that camp for years. And I've always specifically kind of had my mind on Ronnie because I feel like he's sort of the George Harrison of the group, you know, sort of the quiet one. We don't hear as much about Ronnie. And so I just, I'm so grateful that he talked to me. Now the guys from Belle Biv DeVoe, Ronnie, Mike, Ricky, they have joined up with Bobby Brown and they are out on tour or about to be going out on tour under the name RBRM. And that tour begins near the end of April, goes through the end of June. I would go on their Facebook page, look up RBRM. Uh, I think it's also RBRM and then the names of the guys, Bobby, Ronnie, Ricky, Mike, whatever. Anyway, find that for tour dates. Uh, that tour starts up here soon. So we talk about what goes into sort of, you know, when are you Belle Biv DeVoe? When are you New Edition? When are you RBRM? Are you these things because of any drama or any fighting or anything? I asked him specifically about Ralph and Johnny, uh, Ralph Tresmond and Johnny Gill. Great guys as well. And he makes it all sound fine. They're just off kind of doing their own thing. So uh, I hope that there will come a day when I, anyway, will get to see all six of those guys together in one show. Play all the hits, do it upright. That would be a dream. He's also very forthcoming about uh, some of the challenges that he and his wife have had in their marriage that they're working through. Uh, he, as you may know, is married to Shamari DeVoe, who was a member of an R&B group called Black, and now she is featured on the Real Housewives of Atlanta. I've never seen that show. I've just never gotten around to it. Kind of like The Bachelor, one of those. I've never seen any of those Real Housewives shows. But I know she's on it, and it's kind of a big deal. You know, it changes your life in a lot of ways. And they have had to work very hard on their marriage. And he's very forthcoming and honest about their work. They see themselves today as marriage ambassadors, fighting for couples to work through their problems to stay together. And I love that. And they've had some bumps, and he's open about it but they've worked through a lot of all that. We also talk about kind of where R&B and hip hop is today. You know, you in the, in the kind of the Me Too era, you can't get away with some of the stuff that, you know, R&B was 25, 30 years ago. Uh, that being said, Bell Bib DeVoe put out a new album in 2017 called Three Stripes. Yeah, if you didn't know, if you weren't hadn't paid attention to Bell Bib DeVoe since Poison in 1990, they put out what might be their best album in 2017, Three Stripes. It is so good. I would encourage, if you like this kind of stuff, I would strongly encourage you to go check it out. Okay? Anyway, I love Ronnie. I love these guys. This was a huge honor. He was going through security at the airport, so there may be some background noise, but I think that's what was going on. Anyway, I believe he called me from Boston. So you guys are going out on tour as RBRM, and I'm so curious what goes into deciding, is it a matter of like who's in the, who feels like touring right now? Is it a matter of like who's friends? What? Tell me about this tour you guys are about to do. Right, yeah. Well, going out on tour with RBRM, it's just a matter of the ebbs and flows of this thing of ours we call New Edition, man. <laughs> You know, it started off with five from the streets of Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, who would have known that one of our members would move around a few years later and become the entity that he became in yeah. Bobby Brown and kind of, you know, really allowed for Belle to go before we did what we needed to do to feel like 
the fruit doesn't fall too far from the tree. So, I mean, we had the confidence, like, man, if Bob can do it and he comes from the same streets and he's cut from the same same ilk that we are, then, uh, man, you know, once we got that monster poison, we felt like, okay, this was this would be a no-brainer. And then, you know, uh, Johnny comes into the fold and we do um, heartbreak even before that and, you know, we Voltron back up and, you know, a six of us and then we break that back down, you know. There's yeah. even been a tour at once with myself, uh, Ricky, uh, Johnny and Ralph right after yeah. the Home Again tour. So, man, we've had so many different versions of this thing of ours. It's ridiculous. But right now, um, it's just a matter of um, after the uh, new edition story, man, we wanted to, of course, go out with all six of us, and that was sure. the thing before we couldn't pull that together. And in the midst of Bob working on his movie, uh, he was touring Velvet the Bowl. We constantly tour. We felt like, look, you know, if everybody's not on board, at least we were given a lifeline. So uh, we're going to keep this thing moving. And uh, we just felt like if we're going to go out, why not smash Bobby Brown and Belvis the boat together <laughs> and jump on stage and do all of those classic hits that everybody sure. has come to know and yeah. sprinkle a couple of new edition songs in there tastefully. We can't wait to get back to all six of us. But right now yeah. we're just looking at giving people as many of the crew as possible. That's great, man. I'm so jealous because I live in Denver and I grew up in Salt Lake City, and you guys don't come around here very often. So I've yeah, never been able to sucks, see you, and man. it's been a dream of mine. Right, yo, that sucks. I mean, Denver and even Salt Lake City is one of those uh, cities that I mention all the time because when really? we do come, the audience is always like oh. so amazing and gracious yeah. and high energy. So hopefully, before it's all said and done. Um, I know we're rocking and rolling between April 26th and July 26th, but yeah. maybe they'll figure something out before the end of this tour. I hope and, so. And, I mean, it's a lot of white people. Not pencil. Right, right, exactly. But not that's okay. We love you, too, you know? Yes, yes, that's right. Good. So you mentioned something a minute ago about this entity called New Edition. Is right. that, I mean, what stops you? Are there naming issues or legal issues behind, like, the Belbip DeVoe and, and Bobby Brown going out as a new addition? Or is rebranding it as something different sort of, are you, is there a different spirit to what you're doing here than there would be otherwise? What's the thinking behind that? No, I think, I think what it is is uh, new addition is the mother, right? Yeah. And uh, unless there's really at least five of us rocking and rolling, whether that's the heartbreak edition or that's the original edition, um, it just doesn't feel right. Even yeah. Johnny, Ralph, and Bobby were touring together, and they quite possibly could have toured as no addition as well, considering mm -hmm. they were, you know, the, the lead singers for the most part um, of the crew, but they called themselves heads of state at that time. Mm -hmm. All have a love and respect for uh, what this thing of ours is, and we just looked at it like at some point we're going to get back to it, but in the meantime, as Bobby, Ricky, and Mike, it just so happened, you know, Ralph spoke that name into existence on a record called Cool It Now many years yeah. ago. So we just looked at it like, okay, you know, let's just go on ahead and adopt that for now until we can get back to New Edition. But it, no, it's not a matter of us not being able to use the name okay. because, you know, we rightfully 
own one one sixth of it a piece. Sure. It's sure. just you know, where this new thing, so let's just go out as this new thing until we can get back to no edition. Okay. Now, are you guys, uh, if this is too sensitive, you tell me, are you guys cool with Ralph? What's he doing? Where's he? Yeah, 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 yeah. I just spoke to um, Ralph and Johnny the other day. You know, okay. everybody's doing well, man. That's, you know, okay. taking care of families. Ralph <laughs> has a radio show. He's uh, right. doing some dates. He's actually in the studio with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis working on a project, oh, and awesome. he's just looking to get some things off his chest and, okay. you know, out of his system, and we're really supporting and embracing it. Can't wait to hear what it is that yeah. he's working on right now. But at some point, I think, well, it'll come back around, and sometimes it's not in our time. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's in the universe's time, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Understood. Okay. So let, me, I mean, so let me ask you this. Having not been to one of these shows, so much of the – um, of the great new edition hits from way back, had Ralph on lead vocals. So right. in, these show, in the RBRM shows, are you singing Candy Girl? Are you singing, you know, I don't know, Earth Angel or If It Isn't Love? Nah, yo, we haven't sang Earth Angel in so long. I can't really? wait for us to get back to that one. But no, no, um, certain songs, um, Candy Girl, If It Isn't Love, Can You Stand the Rain, Still in Love, Home Again, are those no edition songs that we wouldn't touch because we understand people want to see them a certain way. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we do stay away from certain things that are only six, okay. or six of us, so at least five of us can do. So we'll tastefully touch the songs that Bobby and Ricky and even myself have had some parts on, mm-hmm. and we'll move around and do uh, those classic hits that people know for Bobby Brown and Velvet okay. Row, but. You know, that is a part of our history, but we do it tastefully. Okay, okay. I have to tell you, um, If It Isn't Love is one of my all-time favorite songs. I don't love her, I try to tell myself, but you can see it in my eyes. So don't deny, I can't fool no one else, the truth is in the tears I cry. Man, yours, yours, oh. man. I can't wait to get back to doing that with Ralph and Johnny really? on stage and even Bob, man. We've been we've been looking to teach Bob the routines uh, to <laughs> If It Isn't Love for so long. It's ridiculous, man. We're going to have to whip him up in yes. the cake so we can do it the way that it needs to be done. And, and it was um, really to a certain extent on the BET Awards back in 2017 where we performed the six of us, and then the cast and crew from the new edition movie came out. Man, that was one of the most amazing moments in the career of new edition. But yes. yeah, yeah, that's that's one of those classics as far as the routine and the song is concerned. Period. Okay. Well, then the I mean, at least five of the six got to come back together so we can get that on the set list for these yes. shows. Yes. You know yes, what I mean? That's, that's one that's of the best. You know, uh, I was thinking about that because heartbreak such a great album by the way but it was you know there there's been an evolution anyone and like most of us who have followed you for 41 years now man hold on 41 boy you're, you're aging up brother but yeah that's, that's <laughs> wild right to be able to do something that you love to do for as yeah. long as we have is such a no. blessing yeah that's what i was gonna that's what i've been thinking about i mean i was Googling, there are pictures, maybe, I mean, you were one of the last to join, but the other guys, 1978, little 10-year-old boys, you know? Yeah, yeah, I joined in 1980 myself, so I wasn't too far behind. No. You know, we, I put in work with the guys for three years before we blasted off to the masses, and yeah, yeah, it's been yeah. an incredible ride, honestly, and 
it feels good to still be relevant in the industry that will chew you up ultimately and sure. really spit you out after sure. one single, let alone multiple albums and, you know, the, the story career that we've had. Yeah. I remember so well, I discovered you guys on American Bandstand. I was probably 11 years old. Remember when you guys were on American Bandstand, and I'd never seen you guys or heard you before. Again, Salt Lake City, not the most urban market in the world, but I was loving what I saw in American Bandstand. I've been a fan Listen, Salt Lake City, I love Salt Lake City. One of my my guys, Jamal Anderson, is a Utah Ute, and we used to yeah. go hang out at Park up in Park City and go snowmobiling all the time. Yeah. So, yeah, I understand what that is for sure. But oh, man, Dick you. Clark, Dick Clark, American Bandstand, and those—I yes. mean, those are memories that are just like way past <laughs> amazing. Like just to know yes. that we were a part of what? How many? How many decades? It's the oh. the, to the tens, the yeah. 2000s, the 90s, and the 80s. Four decades yeah. of rocking is... It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is. Do you have to think where... I mean, you guys have known nothing else through your entire, like, adult lives. Do you yeah. ever think... Now, I know you own this brokerage business on the side, and I'm going to ask right, you more right. about that in a minute, but do you ever think where you would be without this? Uh, nah, uh-uh. This is... Did you of dream of being, like, an work. architect? Or a policeman or something? I, I, I did. I did, honestly. Like, right before we blasted off in 1983, I was taking a drafting and an architecture Seriously? course. Yeah, in high school. And that's definitely something that I found a love for, right, at, at yeah. the time. And I'm probably, what, you know, 15, damn near 16 years of age at that point. And um, all of a sudden, bow, here comes Candy Girl, and we're off and running. My girl's At that point, it's, uh, you know, no turning back. But then yeah. I did uh, find real estate again um, back when we kind of slowed down a little bit mm-hmm. in 1999 before I moved to um, Atlanta. You know, I was still living in Los Angeles at the time. Mm-hmm. 1999, 2000, I moved to Atlanta in 2001 with the intent to kind of set myself up outside of the music industry and mm. what was Ronald Boyd DeVoe going to be known for other than New Edition and uh, man took some real estate classes and became a real estate agent with the you intent You sold of somebody a house? Oh man. I, I could have had Ronnie DeVoe sell me a house in Atlanta. Shit, stop playing. I'm still selling homes today. Really? Yeah, yeah. I People want don't one under- of those homes. Yeah, people don't understand the checks that come with that one, too. And even even over and above that, like, I was one of the first people in my, like, near and close family. When I'm talking my grandparents, aunts and uncles, cousins, and all of the above that 
was able to purchase a home, you know, as a first-time yeah. home buyer. So sure. the gratification that I get from being able to walk somebody through that process to, you know, and, and hand them the keys to, you know, their first home is something that, man, I will cherish for the rest of my life when I get the opportunity to do it. And I've done it a number of times. But, yeah, yeah, you know, so I set my own company up. It's called DeVoe Real Estate. And we've been kicking and screaming, you know, ever since 2006. Yeah, yeah I got my license in 2002, even through the real estate bubble. Um, you know, we shrunk down as a company, but now we're building back again. And, um, you know, it's just something that um, wow. uh, I, another one of those things that I love to do. Good for you, man. That is amazing. Yeah. yeah, as I was saying, so during Heartbreak, that to me was a sort of a transitional album of when the guys in New Edition go from boys to men, you know. Telephone right. Man, Candy Girl, these are great hits for sort of adolescent boys. But right. now you're, you know, you're sexy guys, and you get, you're getting some street smarts and everything. Was yeah. it difficult going from boys to men in the music industry, in the public eye like that? Because you would never know it from the quality of the music, but I've always right. wondered if you guys behind the scenes were being told from labels, like, no, we want you to stay young, or you're sort of grappling with what you're going through. Was there any, were there any growing pains? Uh, it sure was. Uh, when you really? look at Candy Girl, I think that was the essence of who we were at the time. You know, mm. 13, 14, 15-year-old kids coming out of the streets of Boston, Massachusetts, seeing all the things that we've seen. Mari Starr did a great job at capturing who we were at the time, right? Mm. Fast forward, we signed to MCA Records, and we do Cool It Now, Mr. Telephone Man, mm-hmm. uh, Rick Timas and Vincent Brantley, Brantley who we, um, produced and wrote Cool It Now, and uh, Ray Parker Jr., who wrote and produced Mr. Telephone Man. I think they were able to capture who we were um, as, you know, fast forward a couple years older. Then moving into Freddie Perrin, who did A Little Bit of Love, that was like one of the songs on our third album that we felt like, okay, yeah, this mm-hmm. feels like us. other stuff we felt like they were as you know mca meaning some of the record execs up there were really trying to keep us in this bubble come pop mm-hmm. you know style of music you know they would uh tell us that we needed to take okay 
uh, we needed to take the earrings out of our ears and we needed to cut our mustaches and all of these different things. So, yeah, they were definitely looking at kind of keeping us um, in a time zone to a certain extent, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And we started bucking the system at that time on the Count Me Out album, or, you know, it was also called the All for Love um, right. album. So I think that was that transition where we felt like, mm-hmm. look, enough is enough, man. You got to yeah. allow us to evolve like our audience is evolving, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we uh, fall into some of the different things that we fell into with our lead singer, Ralph Trezvan, at the time, probably feeling that same way, like, man, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I got these ideas for different um, songs and this music inside of me that I want people to experience. So, um, you know, we had some issues internally as a group, and that's how Johnny was brought into the fold. But yeah. I think it all worked out for the good because once, Ralph understood that um, he was a part of the team. It was no turning back, and Jimmy mm-hmm. Jam and Terry Lewis definitely captured the essence of who we were at the time as, you know, 20, 21-year-olds yeah. making that transition into adulthood. So, sure. yeah, yeah, we were definitely bucking the system. So something I've always wondered, 1990, Poison comes out, and Ralph and Johnny both released self-titled solo albums was that a plan was it was it sort of did someone sit you down ahead of time and be like okay new edition we're gonna take a break from that but we want to keep everyone in the public eye so we're going to hit it hard in 1990 everyone's going to bring it was that a plan or was it just a coincidence that was just a coincidence hell no it wasn't a plan like we, you know and if you i'm sure you've probably seen the new edition story and a lot of the stuff in there was right and exact. But there was a time in New Edition's career where Ralph was going solo. You know, he actually yeah. played us music for a solo record when we went to visit him in Boston. And after hearing that music, myself, Rick, and Mike were feeling like, damn, you know, mm-hmm. excuse my friends, but what the fuck are we about to do right now? Like, this is all you, all we know, like you said. Yeah. I mean, we're starting to finally pay the bills for our families and all of a sudden, you know, and now the rug is going to be swept from underneath us and it felt like, damn, I guess we're just going to have to sit back and, you know, wait for Ralph to finish his solo career and hope that he would come back around and rejoin Mm -hmm. the group and then we can keep moving this thing forward again. Mm -hmm. And um, at that particular time, of course, Johnny was introduced to the group and we um, almost had, well, not almost, but we had the opportunity to put out another record, but Ralph still had those aspirations. And then Johnny came into the group as a solo entity, so he always mm-hmm. had um, the uh, obligation from Motown to do another record anyway. So mm-hmm. after Heartbreak, everything split. And, mm-hmm. again, it was we were just going to look at it like, all right, well, you know, we're just going to wait for Johnny and Ralph to yeah. come back around, and we'll set this thing back off again at some point in the near future, hopefully. And uh, we sat down with Jimmy and Terry at a, it was the end of the tour uh, party, as a matter of fact. Um, mm-hmm. Heartbreak Tour is done data. Uh, it was a huge success, of course, with No Edition, Bobby Brown, and I'll be sure. Mm-hmm. And um, they came with the bright idea for us to form a group. We didn't know what the group name would be at that time, but we looked at each other and the light went off immediately, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, at that moment, and then um, we started recording records initially with Lil Silas as our A&R up at MCA, and they wanted us to just basically be um, an extension of New Edition at the time. So we mm-hmm. were recording slow songs and mid-tempos mm-hmm. and, you know, something very uh, reminiscent of any. But we felt like, look, we're in the clubs, we're dancing, listening to hip-hop music, off stage, like this is mm-hmm. really who we are from P.E. and Big Daddy Kane and Heavy D and Eric B. and Rakim yeah. and, you know, all of these, LL Cool J, mm-hmm. all of these hip-hop heads were on tour with with all of them, and they're opening up for New Edition because at the time they really couldn't get insurance to do shows on their own because people were afraid of rap music, mm-hmm. but this is something that we love. So yeah. we felt like, no, no, we got to 
snatch the reins up and do the kind of music that we really want to do. And at that point, we started listening to other music and, and Dope yeah. and Poison came to us in a package together from Spider-Man and Freeze. Yeah. And from that point on, it's like, this is what the hell we're talking about. I'm ready. You ready, dude? I'm ready, Slick, are you? Oh, yeah. Take it down. Girl, I must warn you. I sense something strange in my mind. Yeah. Yo. Situation is Scary cause we're running out of time mm-hmm. Tell them, It's all so beautiful Relationships they seem from the start yeah. mm-hmm. It's all so And then we went to super producers, um, Hank Shockley and Keith Shockley and Eric Sattler from the Bomb Squad, who, you know, yeah, the best, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yo, we, you know, we got to get the grimy shit and put, you know, the R&B and the the piano over the top of that. And that's how Belbert DeVoe, um, you know, entered uh, the the fold. But it definitely wasn't in the plan. But... I think it's in the design, you know, the yeah, universal yeah. design effect. Because when you look at No Edition, um, really as a whole, people see the name of the group, but they also see the individuals that make mm-hmm. up No Edition. I think that's sure. what makes us, you know, quote unquote, that super group. Sure, yeah. At this stage, all six of you have had your own successful things going on. For so long, but this is a collection of guys. We love them all, you know. Right. You're right. you're all just as big as the as the entity, so to speak. I was right. curious if when Poison takes off, I mean, that that album Eclipse, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, most of the stuff that New Edition was doing at the time, did it cause any rifts with, you know, the Ralphs or the Bobbies or the Johnnies, or was it okay? Was it cool with everybody? Man, honestly, um, you would have to ask Ralph and Johnny or even Bobby that question because um, that's just one of those things that I can't really answer. I'm just excited about the fact that we were giving that lifeline, you know. Um, They were on their way to, you know, make the Michael Jackson thing happen, to make the Luther Mm -hmm. Vandross thing happen. And, you know, myself, Ricky, and Mike is like, what are the the other three going to do? I remember Mm -hmm. hearing comments like that you know in mm-hmm. magazines like Ride on or blackbeat or some of the stuff that was out at the time jet magazine you know we didn't even have names at the time even though ronnie bobby ricky and mike was was already made fam- famous you know it's mm-hmm. like what are the other three gonna do right yeah and yeah. um I, I remember that people were i'm sure anticipating ralph first and then johnny and then you know probably nothing from us but Boy, you know, when we got the ball, we definitely picked it up and mm-hmm. ran with it, you know, mm-hmm. slam dunked that joint through a couple alley-oops, <laughs> you know, and hit yeah. a couple three-pointers before three-pointers <laughs> were even, you know, and hit the thing, yeah. the time. Yeah, but it's wild because, um, you know, um, Poison actually came out before Ralph and Johnny. You know, we just... Yeah. And it just materialized so fast. And once it was off and running, you know, it was just a monster. And it's been a monster to this day. And I think cats know, you know, cats know. We all look and see the magnitude of the individual songs within the show and how, you know, it impacts it. And cats Mm -hmm. know that Poison is one of those joints that we got to save for damn near last because, (laughs) you know, it's just it's it's one of those ones yeah. that just bring the house down and 
you hear it in clubs. You hear, you know, whether it's the, you know, 18 and over spot yeah. or the 21 and over spot or the 40 and over spot, you know, there yeah. at some point during the night, you're going to hear poison. It's still just as hot. What do you guys yeah. open the show with now? Is it Do Me? Take a look at me. Tell me, do you like what you see? Come and see my player. Oh, well, come to Denver then, I will. Nah, yeah, we're going to bring this thing to Denver. But honestly, you know, on the last run, uh, we did a very successful first leg of this RBRM tour starting in September of last year. We did mm-hmm. 30 shows moving through the middle of November. And uh, it's wild because we all felt like this would be the perfect song to start yeah. the show off. But we got some uh, kickback from the person who sings the song, and that's mm. Mr. Bobby Brown. But we blasted the show off with my prerogative. So you know, of you course, did? when you think oh. when you think poison, you know you got to sit my prerogative like basically right next to that joint, right? Yeah. basically show stoppers, show finishers, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we just felt like we have so much material as the two entities that we can just smash them in their mouth out the yeah. gates and just grab them by the juggler and yeah. keep them moving through the rest of the show. And after that first <clears throat> night, Bob was like, oh, he just had to bow down to us. Like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, y'all are right, y'all are right. <laughs> so, yeah, the first leg was prerogative, but who knows, um, Okay. The next leg, we're getting ready to go into rehearsals uh, for that one. We may blast it off like that again because we're going to places this time around that we haven't been to. We did a lot of the major cities on the first leg, and this time we're looking at doing some of the markets that we don't touch all the time, like the Birmingham, Alabamas, or yeah. the Augusta, Georgias, and um, yeah. different places like that. Good for you. I got to tell you, when when I was, because Poison came out, I think it was my senior year of high school, and um, my friends and I, you do this little dance for just two seconds at the very end of the Poison video. We used to call it the Scarecrow Dance. I don't even know. (laughs) Your head's popping back and forth. Do you know what I'm talking about? And your arms and legs. I think I probably do. I probably do, right. 
we're in the little basement area, and I think I'm doing a little right, right. It's a little shimmy, yeah, shimmy, yeah, yeah bro, bro, right, right, right. <laughs> and your head's going, and my friends and I tried to do that, and I'm this big, awkward white guy. It never worked for me. But some right. of my friends got it down, and those were the days we were just yeah. trying so hard to look like yeah. Ronnie DeVoe. Yeah, anyway. that's all right, man. I appreciate that. Sure. Well, some of those moves we're not doing, you know, at at at, at 50 <laughs> years old, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> but right. now we're still bringing that incredible right. energy because we love what we do, man, and we don't take for granted really the hard-earned um, money that people yeah. are paying to come see us rock. And we're from that old school, honestly, where, you know, um, you know, it, whether there's 10 people in the audience or 10,000 people, we're going to give them the same exact show, you know? Yeah, good. Let me ask you, I've always been curious, when Hootie Mac came out, and it kind of underperformed, you know? Mm-hmm. It did mm-hmm. pretty well, but not to the same level. Right. Is that difficult for you guys? Uh, it was tough. It was tough really? when Hootie Mac came out, honestly, because we were split as a group. And anytime um, you can kind of feel when something is going to be magical, right? And then you feel other times where it's just going to be okay, right? Mm-hmm. Candy Girl and that album felt magical, you know. Mm-hmm. Even Cool It Now and Mr. Telephone Man, to a certain extent, felt magical. Then we kind of dipped in the... Uh, the awful love record, and you know we were kind of in split, low turmoil, fighting with the record company about you know just moving in a different direction mm-hmm. musically and all of these different things. You know, having some internal problems, and it didn't do as well as the previous two records, of mm-hmm. course. And then here comes heartbreak. You know, we're yeah. just all in with each other once we got through our blood, sweat, and tears, and it was magical, right? Poison mm-hmm. comes like. I mean, we were with each other every day, all day. Like, we yeah. would, um, you know, hit the studio at, let's say, 8 o'clock at night, and we'd get out at, you know, 3 in the morning, 3.30, you know, damn near 4 o'clock in the morning. we head back to the hotel. We used to stay at this embassy suite when we were recording in New York across the way in New Jersey, right? So we get to the hotel and we would stay up, right, until 6 o'clock when the bre- when the free breakfast opened up, right? <laughs> but we would stay up, like, and this was at the time when we were smoking goo gobs of weed and we would just mm-hmm. conceptualize, like, mm-hmm. you know, how are we going to come off performing this song? What's the video going to look like? Yeah. All these different things. Like, we were so tight as a unit, you know, with poison, Um then uh, with success, and then Michael, you know, kind of getting pulled to the side by Gerald Busby um, over at Motown to, you know, do biz entertainment, yeah. um, and myself, and Ricky, yes, and all that, boys and men, all the stuff that he was able to do as an individual, which was another branch from the Tree of New Edition um, as well, right? Uh, myself and Ricky, we were doing this amazing club in Los Angeles called Club Mental at the Palladium. We were selling that thing out, you know, 3,300 people every Monday. This was on a Monday night, first, you know, the first working day of the week, just (laughs) killing it, right? So um, we were kind of starting to drift apart from each other. And Hootie Mac, like all of the music actually on Hootie Mac, um, um, Gangster, which was the first song, was recorded like a year, almost no, two years before it actually came out. We were supposed to release release it. If you look back, we performed Gangsta on a New Year's show 
Mm. And it didn't come out until a year later because we were just, you know, not focused and not as tight as we were as a group. And, it, you know, I mean, it just read on the music. It read in the videos. It read in our performance. It read in the commitment level that we had to, you know, making it all happen. But, I mean, it's, you know, part of the ebbs and flows of what happens in the music industry. You guys have managed to do okay anyway, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went on tour and, you know, did what we had to do. Like you said, it wasn't the monster like Poison was, but uh, Something in Your Eyes, which is a song that Babyface produced, was definitely the lifesaver for that record and uh, definitely one of the songs that we still perform in our show now. Like a quick fact about Hootie Mac, like sometimes you're on the verge of where things are going, right? Uh, You're the trendsetter, you're the visionary. And again, Hootie Mac, you know, like I said, we smoking a lot of weed at the time. Mm -hmm. We just felt like, look, let's talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. Hootie Mac, we had a song on the record called Nickel Bag, all of these different things, right? Mm -hmm. 1993, I want to say Hootie Mac. Um, yep. came out like it was a must a miss turmoil and dissension and split in our group right so yeah. we weren't able to focus on it the way that we should have but think what record came out right around the same time that blasted off with the same intent the same subject matter tell me the you, chronic the chronic yes, right. so right. we were we were right where we needed to be but we just weren't as tight as a unit so it was kind of all over the place but yeah Yeah. we i think we were on the verge of setting things into motion that could have been but we seen that happen with dr dre and snoop so we felt like yo our intent was right we just weren't together as a unit and well um, that's a learning lesson that's a learning lesson and you can't set friends every single time no no not at all absolutely introduced New Jack Swing and everything, all this new genre of R&B, not everyone gets to do that, you know, change the world every single time out. But you, yeah. but you managed it once. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. Um, I was thinking about you because I interviewed Jeffrey Osborne a few months ago. Right. And he told me something that I hadn't really thought of, but he's right. He was saying how there's really no new crooners out there. You know, there's no, like, younger, not to him anyway, younger R&B singers that are kind of following the same path as Jeffrey Osborne. And right. I was listening and getting ready to talk to you, I've been listening to all your old stuff and I love Three Strikes, by the way. Hot Man, Man, thank you. It's such a great jam on there. Such a good album. Yeah. I know. I know.
Thank you. But I'm wondering if you feel that way. Like, for instance, if you listen to BBD from 2001, it's not the best time maybe to put out a song called Dance Stick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Spotlights burning, asses turning, thighs like thunder, makes me wonder. Left the wifey home tonight, few shots to clear my mind, gotta quench my appetite. To watch you, I would pay the price. Dance, bitch, that's it. Yeah. Oh, sh- wanna see you in the lane. Where's my people? It's now or never. Well, whose is it? It's yours if you can handle Come it. On. my glass beat you feeling grimy this ain't the time she's getting freaky you watch my 50 in a cheese yo show me love ma go ahead get busy cheek to cheek now let me see him where do you think we're going i mean do you feel like when you write songs do you feel like well first and foremost do you even write that many songs anymore and when you do do you feel i don't know do you call on the past do you look toward the future? Is it a combination? What do you do? Yeah, man, it's a very interesting question and observation. It's, um, I think hip-hop music in general has really muddied the waters as far as pop culture is concerned, as far as R&B music is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such an infectious thing that it's just um, making its way into all the different separate genres of music, right? So when you think about a person that would look at a Jeffrey Osborne or a Charlie Wilson or a Marvin Mm -hmm. Gaye or a Luther Vandross or um, somebody of that nature, right, Mm -hmm. back in the day, and they're trying to figure out how do I learn how to do this and let me, you know, keep practicing my, my my craft and my skills to become this type of singer right now here comes hip-hop and it's about run dmc and ll cool j and eric b and rakim and public Mm -hmm. enemy and wu-tang and the list goes on and Mm -hmm. on you know the evolution of what music is becoming now like it's Mm -hmm. this hip-hop thing is not gonna last but Mm -hmm. it's busting through and it's not going to be held back. And then N.W.A. and Dr. Dre. And, you know, here comes the influence of um, Southern um, hip-hop yeah. with, you know, um, with Outkast and Jermaine yeah. Dupri. And, you know, then you have some of the newer stuff with Future and, and you know, uh, Young Thug and all of the stuff that's happening now where music is. And I think people are not looking at it like, Jeffrey Osborne is the thing to do because yeah. what's hot and popping really in music now is hip hop. So yeah. nobody's practicing how, you know, to hit the high note anymore. They're practicing yeah. their cadence and how to, you know, bite the track as far as hip hop is concerned. Yeah. And you have, you know, people like a Chris Brown, you know, that yeah. has an incredible voice, but his Swagger is more mm-hmm. consistent more with hip hop, right, yeah, than it is, yeah. you know, somebody like a Jeffrey Osborne or a Luther Vandross or, you know, a Teddy Pendergrass or what have you. So yeah. I think uh, really the introduction and the staying power and the magnitude of hip hop has definitely blurred the lines. And yeah. for mm-hmm. us, um, for us, you know, we're part of um, the magic of where that's at because. Mm-hmm we took both sides of it and smashed it together. We were the first ones to actually do that. And mm-hmm. it took on a life of, yeah, it took on yeah. a life of itself. And now everybody's, you know, you got somebody like Drake, which is, you know, exactly what Belle DeVoe was for the most part mm-hmm. in one person, it's you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it is okay. where it's at, but I think, um, R&B music is, is, you know, is, um, it feels like it's it's returning because um, people want 
the the balance of life, I think. You know, you want to feel aggressive and you want to hear the beat of the drum, but at the same time, you want to be smoothed out and, you know, and and hear uh, someone that can serenade you to a certain extent as well. So uh, we'll see. And then live music in general, man, it's just no more, you know. I mean, it's good that people are putting bass lines on this song, but, you know, with, phones and technology the way that it is you know music is not created in a room with a band anymore it's created you know with their fingertips you know on a phone or a drum machine so yeah it's a whole different beast now okay well look i know we're almost out of time i got two more questions for you and then i'll let you go number one i'm afraid i'm afraid i've never seen any of the real housewives show right right. shamari am i saying it right shamari Yes, Shamari. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know your wife's on there. How yes. did that happen? And has that that has to have kind of raised your profile at this stage, right? Those shows yes. are super popular. Yes, it, it has. I mean, when um, I was growing up, it was about one life to live in General Hospital <laughs> and all my children, right? Um, and now it's about Real Housewives and loving hip hop and basketball wise. And mm-hmm. I think MTV when they did um, uh, the first, exactly the first yeah. reality show, Real World, was mm-hmm. the introduction of this new entity that kind of yeah. took the space of uh, what the soap operas were for, what were for us growing up, you know. Yeah. And, uh, man, that's where it's at. It's like if you're not on television right now and you're only on radio, your profile is not as high as it could be, you know. And um, we felt like that. Um, We just looked at it like, God, if this is for us, open the door. Because people had been coming after um, our family about doing something in that capacity for a number of years. But, you know, there were roadblocks and different things that were in the way. But, this time, the time was right, and, uh, you know, it's interesting, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you said, our profile is definitely raised, and some good Probably and bad lost comes a lot of privacy. Yeah, yeah, some good <laughs> and bad comes with that. But yeah. uh, for us, um, we feel like as marriage ambassadors, right, yeah. um, it's good for us to be transparent and let people know that our shit stinks just as well as everybody else's. But uh, we've been able to get through our problems and issues, man. We had an open relationship, and this was like seven years ago, and it almost broke. It brought us to the brink of divorce, you know, but there was a bigger plan for our relationship, and we turned things back around um, through have, through having uh, marriage counseling and marriage mm-hmm. coaching and just, you know, really finding that love for each other again. Mm-hmm. And then we found one of our purposes in life with being uh, marriage coaches. We actually have an event coming up on April 27th. It's, it's our third annual Married for Life walk in Atlanta, oh, Georgia. Right. You guys marriage counselors now? One, I mean, I can't say that we're marriage counselors, but we definitely like understand. Ambassadors. Yes, ambassadors. Good we definitely you, understand the sanctity of marriage. We yeah. understand compassion and love and forgiveness, and we want to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to shine a light on, making sure that's people great. are sticking and staying in their relationships. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's Ooh, one of the reasons why we felt like, look, let's expose this thing so that, you know, people can in turn – you know, um, be brought to the, be shown be shown the way to a certain yeah. extent. Yeah, sure. Um, one thing I was curious about, you know, the story of New Edition especially is fraught with a lot of like money issues. You know, right, you guys right. not getting what you deserve, and managers mm-hmm. and creators and all that kind of stuff. Uh, was it BBD? What? What? When did you finally be kind of financially independent? Do you know what I mean? Um, I mean, it and started. How did you celebrate? It, it's well, it you know? started early. No, it started early. Okay. Uh, we didn't. Yeah, we didn't get everything that we deserved, but we were getting something. And honestly, okay. at the okay. time, if our parents were making, I don't know, you know, in the middle eighties, if my mom was making twenty five k a year, yeah. you know, uh, give or take, that was taking care of. Yeah the household, right? Okay. But for okay. us, you know, fast forward, Candy Girl comes out, you know, um, uh, the new edition album comes out, 
we go on the All for Love tour. At that time, we were, we began to start paying the bills. We weren't making all the money that we should have been making, but it was enough to eclipse mm-hmm. the amount of money that our parents were making at the time, you know? Okay. So, um, good for a while. Yeah, yeah, we were, okay, yeah cool. we've been good. We weren't making okay. everything that we were supposed to, but, yeah, we started breaking mm-hmm. through and really stomping the ground like, yo, enough is enough, yeah. starting around the time after Cool It Now. So going into okay. the heartbreak run, um, at that point, you know, we were we were pretty much smooth sailing, making every okay. dollar that we were supposed to make. Okay, cool. All right, last question I got to know. Have you, tell me one of your favorite stories. I mean, you've been at this almost your entire adult life. You've got to have met several heroes, had some crazy, I don't even know, crazy or inspiring moments. Tell me your favorite memory. When you sit back and you're just like, I cannot believe all wow. of this that's happened to, happened to me. Yo, What's tell, one of the I'm favorite things? What. I'm going to tell you what. So um, there's a couple things really quick. So okay. uh, this was around the time of the most magical time in any one entertainer's career. And this is Michael Jackson, the Thriller mm-hmm. album, right? Candy Girl hits number one. Michael Jackson's Beat It is number two. Like, this is our idol, right? This is, we didn't even know what the charts meant, but we understood, okay, we're number one and our idol is number two, right? And at that time, we got a call from Mike about coming to visit. So we got a chance to go visit Michael Jackson in Encino, California at his Havenhurst. Um, house, right? Michael Jackson, you know, his mom, LaToya was there, I want to say, I don't know if Janet was there or not, but a couple (laughs) of the other family members, the llama was there, Bubbles was there, the snake, just all of these different things, right? Like, so that was one of the most amazing things. Like, we were actually going to be able to stay the night, all of us, but we had to get up the next day and do a whole bunch of press, so we were pissed the hell off that we couldn't stay, you know, for a few days with our Mm -hmm. idol, but anyway... You know, fast forward, one of my other memorable moments, like as you were asking me that question, and I thought that this would be new addition more than it would be Belle Biv DeVoe, was performing for the president, man. Barack Obama, Michelle Obama requested for us to perform at their very last party, basically at the White House, BET captured it. You can look at the footage. It was yeah. on television, man. And that was just, yo, like to know the impact that that yeah. man had on America and not only just America, but the world, but, you know, yeah. on raising the bar and pushing the glass, breaking the glass ceiling yeah. as far as the black man is concerned, right? Totally. Like we can reach the highest office of the land. That means you can do any damn thing that you put your mind to. So, you know, knowing what they represented as a family through all the scrutiny and how they were able to hold tight, um, being able to perform for the Prez and um, the First Lady was just an amazing thing. That was one of my favorite memories, man. And to see him do the cross step with us on stage was like, wow, come on, man. I would have never the. I heard an interview with Questlove recently, who I think DJed that party, and he was saying right. that it was a crazier, wilder party than you would have thought. Yeah, yeah, it Apparently. was, man, because yeah. they were, it was at the end, so yeah. they were finally able to just, Relax. you know, almost like that sigh of relief, like, yeah. yo, we're getting ready to ride off into the sunset. Yeah. You know, nobody tried to damn murder us, yeah. or even if they did, you know, they, <laughs> they failed or what have you, so... It was just one of those things where they could really just let their hair down, man. Yeah. I enjoyed cool. being a part of that moment. Well, congrats. Ronnie, I've loved you most of my life, man. Thank you yeah, for man. talking Thank with you. me. You guys Thank are the you. best. Thank you, Jay. Yo, right. yo, lock me in, man. This is my number, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely okay. have to let's do some Let's do this again something. sometime. I'd yeah, love when it. I hit. Yeah, let's bring this man for life walk to Denver or Salt Lake Ooh, City or something, love right? It. Love okay. it. There you have it, Ronnie DeVoe. Wasn't that great? I love that. I hope you guys did too. What an honor to hear from him and to kind of get some of his thoughts and the, you know, the history on that band. Again, RBRM. Go look it up. If you're in a position to see them live, first of all, I'm so jealous. Secondly, you got to do it because you know it's going to be great. Bobby Brown's back out there with them. By the way, we didn't talk as much about Johnny Gill and I wanted to because 
I mean, Johnny has one of the greatest voices ever. And so I wanted to play a song, one of my favorite songs that really showcases Johnny's voice. Can You Stand the Rain from Heartbreak. Such a great tune. Listen to the very end. Listen to his just soaring vocals near the, the end or the coda of this song. Oh my gosh, gives me chills every time. Now, next week, our guest, to give you a little teaser, is one of the biggest one-hit wonders of the 90s. And I realize that's a little bit of an oxymoron because there were so many one-hit wonders in the 90s, unfortunately. But uh, this is the guy, the front man for one of the biggest, okay? Now, in the meantime, you can find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send us a message on there. You can... Uh, Send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And a huge thanks, as always, to my right-hand man, Jan the Man Makiewicz, for uh, helping put all this together. Thank you, buddy. I also want to say a thank you to Joanne, BBD's new edition, whatever, publicist for helping make this happen. I've been bugging her for six months, seven months, eight months, making it happen. It finally happened. Thank you, Joanne. Anyway, we'll talk to you all next time. Can you stand it?